Well, good morning. Um, first off, my voice is a little rough this morning. Um, as luck would have it, I got a cold earlier this week, so my voice is still recovering. Um, so bear with me. Appreciate your grace. Um, and happy Mother's Day. I'm very grateful for my mom. She puts uh, me to shame in how she serves people constantly um, and cares for the people around her, um, raising up uh, several children. I'm really honored to be her daughter. Um, and I am actually, so this is the second time I've gotten to teach our community, and I am two for two on teaching on holiday weekends. So the first weekend was Thanksgiving weekend. Today I get Mother's Day. Um, but I'm hoping that if I, like, if this morning goes well, maybe Chris will promote me to, like, some of the bigger holidays. Um, so we will, we will see, see how it goes. Um, so like Chris mentioned, last week he introduced um, this vision for our family, our church, um, over the course of this year, we're going to explore what it really would mean to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. And it's based on this theme verse um, of Matthew 22:37: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so the, the question really is, like, if we took this seriously, if we actually devoted ourselves to living wholeheartedly, um, what would our life be like? What would our life... Good? Uh, still there? Nope? Cool. Maybe? Not today, Satan. Get that out of here. <laughs> I am pretty good at speaking loud. Can you all hear me in the back? Yeah. Boom. Good acoustics. Um, so I'm going to keep going while, that, while we figure that out. Um, so Chris posed this question of what would your life be like at the end of this year if we loved, knew, and experienced Jesus more than we ever had before? So that's really this journey that we're going on and what we're going to explore over the course of this year. And so, like Chris said, we're starting with family. Um, and since we are uh, st starting with family, um, just a little background on what our, what our community, what our church believes about family. Um, so if you go to our website, you'll see front and center on the main page um, th our mission, which is cultivating the kind of family that Jesus introduced to the world. And family is also one of our four values. Um, and so on our website, there's a description of each of our values, and I wanted to share a little bit of what it says on there. Um, that just kind of describes what it is we mean when we say family. So life is better together. We commit to radical friendship. We believe that Jesus' life set into motion a new kind of family, the kind that is formed around hearing God and following him together. When we say family, we think of covenant bonds and deep friendship, radical friendship, the kind of friends who feel like family. So that's what we mean when we say family, and I figured since I was going to talk a lot about family that I would introduce you to mine first. Um, and so this is a... A photo of my family. Um, I am the youngest of four kids, and um, in the center there is my mom and dad. Uh, they celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary last year, which blows my mind. Um, I don't know how any of us are old enough for that to be true, but it is. And then on the uh, far, my right, your left, um, is my brother Chris and his wife and their three kids. They all speak both Japanese and English, so they're way smarter than me. Um, and then you have my sister and her husband. Um, if you know me, you know I talk a lot about my nephew Peter. He wasn't born yet. Uh, she was pregnant in this photo with Peter. And then um, on the, the far side here is my brother Josh, his wife, and their two kids. Um, so really grateful for this family. A little bit about us, just some of the ways that I would say um, are, I've been formed by my family. So one is that we are very loud people, um, pretty passionate. We tend to be very opinionated. 
Um, and uh, we, we tend a little bit towards like intellectual side, like probably borderline a little on the nerdy, like brainy side. Um, it was not unusual growing up, and we're also very sarcastic, so it was not unusual growing up at the dinner table to uh, have a conversation about like the theory around like black holes, um, or like whether white is the like presence of all colors or is it the absence of all colors, um, but all really in good fun. Uh, but the most incredible thing about my family um, that has been the most formative for my life and how my life looks today um, is that I grew up in a household where my parents loved Jesus and they raised me and my siblings up to love Jesus. And I know and recognize even more the older I get what an incredible blessing and gift that is. Um, that's not the case for everyone. Um, and so I recognize it's a huge blessing. It's been extremely formative for my life. And um, I'm very grateful, like, all of my siblings know Jesus, and, and they're walking with Jesus, and that's a huge gift, and it's, it's formed me uh, very much into who I am today. So that picture um, is a few years old. We haven't actually all been together, and um, uh, the last time we were all together was summer of 2019. So it's been a few years, and it has probably a little bit to do with just geography, um, because we are spread all over. So um, I'm here representing the Midwest. I have family that's, like, all the way on the West Coast. Um, basically like pretty much at the ocean, and then family that's all the way at the east coast near that ocean, and then uh, part of the family that's in the deep south. So we're spread around. It's pretty challenging to get all together. So when we talk about this idea of cultivating a family uh, like Jesus and this new kind of family, that's an extremely important thing for me. I don't live near my family, and so it matters a lot to me um, to be able to cultivate a family here in Cincinnati. It really matters to me, and one of the things that um, is really fascinating about Cincinnati, because um, I did not grow up here, uh, is that so many people like were born here, they've grown up here, and they still live here, and they live close to their family. Um, and that's not my situation, I don't know if it's yours, um, but no matter what the like, state or condition of your natural family is, whether uh, they are nearby or far away, whether they bring you a ton of joy and you love being with them, or they drive you totally crazy, um, or maybe it's probably a combination of, the, of both of those things, but no matter the condition of your natural family, this idea of cultivating intentional family, the one like Jesus started, this radical community, it matters for you too. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning of why is it, why, um, why does it matter for us that we choose to live in community and choose to cultivate this kind of radical community. So I think God makes it clear in two ways that we're called to live in community with other people. So the first is that God himself demonstrates living in community. So even before anything else existed in creation, um, God existed in community with himself, um, three persons, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one distinct uh, one God. So in Genesis 1.26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So what's always interesting to me about this verse is that it's plural. He says, let us. So there's this sense of um, plurality, that they're in a group, in relationship, and they're deciding together to create something. Um, God, uh, so God is this relational God who's living in community, um, and I understand that, like, the Trinity is a really complicated, like, thing to kind of wrap our heads around, so if you'd like more information to understand that better, you can email chris at citychurchotr.com, and he would be so delighted to explain in detail how that's possible. Um, we also, so we see um, it in God, uh, community in God from the beginning of creation, but we also see community through the life of Jesus. 
Um, so it's very clear he lived alongside these 12 disciples. There were others beyond the 12 disciples who traveled and worked alongside him. Um, and Jesus is really clear. He calls them. Um, he even says when people challenge, uh, challenge him on it, he says, like, these are my family. These are my mother, my brother, my sister. These people who are with me, who are in the work with me, um, doing my will. So we see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in God himself as the Trinity. So going back to Genesis 1:26 of let us make man in our image after our likeness, we are created in the image of a relational God. So it is hardwired into our design because we bear his image, because we're created in his likeness, we're hardwired to live in community. Um, it's how we're designed to live. And it's one of the really beautiful ways that we actually reflect the nature um, and character of God. Um, but not only does God demonstrate living in community, but we also see that God created and established us in community. So God himself establishes this precedent, this principle of community um, within human-to-human -human relationship. So in Genesis 2.18, he says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so remember that this is even before uh, the world has, uh, the fall has happened. Um, the relationship between God and with Adam is unbroken, it's whole. And yet, in this moment, God looks at it and says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. There was still a sense of aloneness about Adam's condition. And God saw that it was not a good thing. So they search through all the animals God's created. They're looking for some type of companionship for him um, and realize, you know, God realizes nothing fits the bill. Nothing's quite what he knows Adam needs. And so God creates Eve um, and brings them together and places them in relationship. And even though this is a, a specific picture of a marriage relationship, it still is setting this precedent that we are designed and we need um, companionship, friendship, community um, to live life with. And it's not just that it's necessary, but that it's good, because God looks at his creation, all of this included, um, and he says that it's very good. So we could go ahead and wrap up there because the short answer of why we should live in community is just that God said so. Like, it's kind of like you could boil it down to that. Um, God demonstrates it. God instituted it. Um, but I think there's a really interesting um, question uh, that this raises of like, why is it that an all-sufficient God who's beyond able to satisfy every one of our needs himself, why would he determine it necessary to establish us in community? So why is it that he looked at Adam, he saw that he was alone, even though God himself was present there, and he determined he needed something else? So that's what we're going to focus the rest of our time on um, this morning. And we're going to look at three core reasons that I believe God's designed us to thrive in community. So the first is probably the easiest to buy into. Community makes life more fun. It's actually just a lot more fun to do life with other people. It's definitely more fun to follow Jesus with other people. And I recognize that all the extroverts in the room are like, yeah, right on. Like, I get that. Um, the introverts, y'all might be a little harder to convince that, like, you actually are better off with people around you. Not all the time. I get it. I'm also an introvert. Um, but there is just the, this beauty of living life um, with other people. God is a giver of good gifts. So if he gave us community, it is a good gift. Um, and so he's given that to us. Uh, for our blessing, for fun. Um, I'm pretty self-determined, um, self, uh, self, want to be self-sufficient. It's a little bit probably part of my introvertness. Um, and uh, that's true, and I've, I've learned over the years to be good at kind of doing things on my own and being able to function that way. Um, and that's a good, that's a really good skill to have, and I'm grateful to be able to do that. But when I think back um, over my life to memories or moments that meant a lot to me that were really special, that were really fun, they're pretty much always with other people. 
Those are the things that stick out. Those are the things that have brought so much joy um, or just the experiences I've had with others. There's something just really sweet and beautiful about experiencing life with other people, celebrating birthdays, vacations, um, the everyday stuff of sharing meals together, um, playing games, grow, seasons of growth. Just being together and that, being known um, and knowing others is a really big blessing and a gift to us. So community does make life more fun. Community also makes life's burdens easier to bear. So in Ecclesiastes 4, a very wise man named King Solomon uh, says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So I think this is probably some of like the most practical uh, reasoning why we should be in community, why we need other people. Like, hey, if you fall down, like someone will pick you up. If you are cold, like you can be warmer with another person. Um, if you get in a fight, you're better off with a second person. Um, so it's a very this practical idea, but but really like aren't bearing those challenges, aren't facing those challenges easier when you have someone else with you to walk alongside you? Um, and I think uh, anyone who's ever lived on a third floor apartment understands that two are better than one. Uh, so I do live on a third floor apartment. And uh, like I said, I'm very uh, determined to be self-sufficient uh, to a fault. And so a few months ago, I ordered a new bed. So I ordered a mattress and a like, frame and headboard all delivered to my apartment. So they get to my apartment building. And again, to my shame and my own suffering, I determined that I'm not going to call anybody to help me. Um, I'm going to get these boxes up to my third floor apartment on my own. And the first one arrives, the headboard, like not a big deal. Like it was heavy, but like could manage it just fine. Second one is the mattress. Y'all, this box is thankfully very well packed because those mattress in a box things are like pretty like uh, contained. But uh, it weighs like over 100 pounds. So again, determined, I like figure out how to get this box up to my like third floor. Third box arrives, game changer. This box is very long because it's a frame for a bed and very heavy. And I realized real quick, like, there's no way that me alone is going to get this up the stairs. But I'm going to figure out a way because I'm very resourceful. I like to say work smarter, not harder. So I unpacked the box on the first floor and carried the pieces up individually to my apartment to get it inside. So, um, like, can you figure out how to do most things on your own? Like, can you manage it? Like, yeah, sure, a lot of times you can. But it sure would have been a lot easier if I had two people and not just one to get all those boxes upstairs. So it's better to have uh, two instead of one. It's better to be in community for, for just the practical things like that. Um, but it's also better to be in community to do the things God has called us to do. Having that support in the community in those things is even more important. In Exodus 17, there's a really beautiful picture of this. Um, so Moses at this point has led Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're living in the wilderness, um, and there's this story about them facing um, this other people group comes out to fight them, the Amalekites. They come to fight Israel, and here's what Exodus 17 says. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side 
and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So Moses is called to lead the people of Israel, and he has a very specific role in this battle um, for their success. Um, but he cannot accomplish it alone, and his friends, his uh, community, Aaron and her, step in to help. And we need people like this in our lives, people who are living life alongside us, who are standing beside us, who will step in to help when our arms get weak. Because um, if you've ever tried to hold your arms up for a while, like that's, we have a pretty short endurance on our own. Um, and so we need other people. We see other examples of this in Scripture with David. He had his band of, of mighty men who were with him while Saul was trying to kill him. Um, Paul talks a lot about the people who are in ministry with him, who are co-laborers with him, partnering with him. And then, of course, Jesus himself living and ministering alongside his disciples. So in life with Jesus, we are going to face a lot of challenges. Um, a lot of times the things God asks us to do are, can be really challenging, and we need help with those. Um, but there's also things like just the inevitable loss and grief that we'll face in life, being overwhelmed, under-resourced, depression, anxiety, frustration, loneliness, anger. God wants to be with us in all these things, and he is. And one of the ways that he often chooses to do that is through the gift of other people who are around us to help us. Community makes life's burdens easier to bear. And the third reason I think we need relationships um, is that community helps us in the refining work of Jesus. So it's tempting to start thinking, as we talk about this importance of family as a foundation, it's, it's easy to start thinking that like it's about us, that we're doing something fantastic that's helping um, grow us into the likeness of Jesus. Um, but the reality is we have to remember that it is by grace alone, is by the work of the Holy Spirit um, and the work of Jesus on the cross, his death and resurrection, that is what makes our refining possible. That's what will change us. It's God who changes us. And so that brings us back to our earlier question of like, if God's fully capable of doing that work, if he's the one who has to do it, then why do we need community? But God chooses to use many resources to smooth, refine, and grow us up into maturity. And our community, the people, his people around us, that's one of the most significant. And we see this in Ephesians 4, and I will uh, just apologize in advance. Paul, who wrote Ephesians, really likes run-on sentences. So this might be a bit much, but just bear with me. So in Ephesians 4, it says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we are for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The body of Christ is working to together to grow us all up into maturity and to grow us up into the image of the God who we were, we were created to bear. And why one of the reasons this is so important is we see in this passage that it says we wouldn't be tossed to and fro or at the mercy of craftiness and deceitful schemes. We want to grow up into maturity and into the likeness of Christ, um, but that does not happen by accident. And in reality, it doesn't happen if we're passive, and it actually is quite the opposite. Um, if we are not actively seeking that, we will drift away from Jesus. That is our natural direction. Um, and it's not even just that it's a passive drifting away. Um, we have a very real enemy who wants to destroy us. Paul says that he is a 
um, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us. And so if two is better than one for carrying a heavy mattress upstairs, you better believe that two is better than one when there's a lion out to get us. Especially if you're a faster runner than that friend. Just kidding. I know, I know. Bad joke. So how is it that God uses us for our refining and formation? Um, so one of the ways is, is through wise counsel, and we see that throughout Proverbs. Um, uh, those Proverbs talk a lot about this idea. Um, a couple of the verses in there, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Or another one, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So the wise counsel of others, and particularly the wise counsel of those who hear from the Spirit, who are followers of Jesus, that wise counsel um, helps us be more successful in this journey. And then similar to being a source of wise counsel, community around us can help us identify and correct blind spots. So there's this concept in psychology called confirmation bias. If you're not familiar, confirmation bias is defined as bias that results from the tendency to process and analyze information in such a way that it supports one's pre-existing ideas and convictions. So it's actually a scientific reality that we are inclined to process and interpret information to just confirm what we already think and believe. So when God is working and doing the work of trying to refine our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs to align with his, there's a change that has to happen. And unfortunately, though, though we can hear God, we do hear his voice. Um, he's a good communicator. We unfortunately are not always the best interpreters. Um, and so we need the voice of others um, and the gifts that he's given us, his word, his spirit, and his people to help test and evaluate the things we hear from the Lord. So he's equipped us to be instruments to build each other up into the fullness of Christ, which is both an incredible privilege and also a very big responsibility. And their call in this passage that we hear is that we are to speak the truth in love in order to help each other grow up in Christ. But that's not always easy, and it's definitely not always comfortable. Um, but this radical friendship, the kind we're talking about, um, this cultivating a family requires a willingness to step into those things and sometimes speak those uncomfortable truths. But that is most effective when we do it in the context of established, loving, caring relationships. Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But I want to be clear that friends don't share truth for the purpose of wounding. That's not what it means to speak truth. Um, the goal of friends, uh, we want to be like a carefully handled surgeon's scalpel. That though it is damaging, for, it may feel damaging or may feel uncomfortable for the moment, that it is for the sake of bringing healing um, and restoring us to life. That's the goal of this speaking truth in love. And I know I'm inconsistent at best in being that kind of friend. Friend, uh, It is very easy for me to shy away. It's, um, I know in my head that like it's totally worth the risk. It's, it's worth um, the potential that it could go sideways. Um, I know that it's worth it to, to speak truth and to love my friends in that way. Um, but sometimes there's this fear that just makes me shy away from it. And I think in some ways um, it's a well-founded or at least understandable fear for me. Um, there have been seasons of my life, particularly growing up, where I was not good at that. Um, I was very uh, quick to share truth um, and criticism and was lacking in grace and in love. And I've damaged relationships. That's the reality um, of my story. And I also know there have been seasons in my life where I honestly just have not had enough friends and community for this to even be possible. So I'm a work in progress, um, but in more recent years, I've been really, really blessed to experience um, these kind of friends in Cincinnati. So anyone who's spent a lot of time around me starts 
will hear me start to talk about my friends Kara and Andrew. So I want to share a little bit about them. Um, so Kara and Andrew are married. They are the only two people that I knew when I moved to Cincinnati. So we've been friends for about seven years. Um, I still see them on a regular basis and spend a lot of my life with them. And being friends with them has been really formative for me. Um, I've gained some really great skills, um, learned some things like how to brew kombucha. Um, I've learned some really good like biohacking tips and like vitamin recommendations from them. Um, I have uh, learned to really love and appreciate the Marvel Comics franchise, um, and especially uh, acknowledging that you should skip past the Incredible Hulk. That was not the advice I was given. Um, but the, the best things I've learned from being around them um, is how to hold really tight to my identity as a daughter of God. Um, I've learned just the simplicity and gift of repentance, that it's not a scary thing, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I've learned uh, so much about just the living and active work of the Holy Spirit and the things that he does. I've learned um, a lot about how to hear from the Lord and about how to love Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, they tell the truth, and I know that they love me, and so I trust them to tell me the truth, whether it's encouragement or whether it's challenging me, challenging me to think differently. Um, there have never been like a big need for some kind of like huge intervention or some major blow that they've delivered, um, but it's really just been in the, the smoothing and refining friendship over the course of years um, that happens in everyday life. We've shared holidays, birthdays, um, vacations. We've shared little mundane things like uh, Saturday brunch, big fans of Saturday brunch, and, uh, you know, a Friday night really roasting a Hallmark movie. So we have just um, been friends over the course of time, and on a day-to-day -day basis, it has formed me, and it has pushed me um, to love Jesus more and walk with him. And I would um, say without a doubt that being welcomed in as part of my family, which is what they've done for me, um, it is one of the greatest gifts of my life. Um, they are incredible friends, and I'm so deeply grateful for them. Um, I am different than when I moved here seven years ago um, to Cincinnati, and that is, uh, I think, mostly for the better, pretty sure, and that is because of the, the good and beautiful work of the Lord. Um, but one of the greatest tools that he's used in that process are my friends Karen and Andrew. And I want more friendships like theirs because it's honestly just way more fun to live alongside these friends. Um, it's been a blast. They're so much fun. Um, but I need more friendships like this because those are the kind of friendships that are going to help me walk with Jesus. And I want to have more friends like this, but I also recognize that if I'm going to have more friends like this, I also need to be a friend like this, um, which is a real challenge to me in a good way. So if we're going to cultivate a new kind of family at City Church OTR that's living and growing in these aspects and really um, helping us live wholeheartedly for Jesus, this kind of radical friendship will cost us something. Jesus said that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I think we hear this, and most often we think about this in the context of dying for a friend. Like, would you love someone enough to die for them? Um, but I'm really challenged that I think the, the bigger question, the more important question for us is, would we actually lay down our life and live for the people around us? So would we be willing to lay down our desires and our preferences? Would we lay down our comfort, our time? Are you going to be willing to lay down our opinions and our resources for the sake of loving our friends so that they can know Jesus better? And that is a very different kind of laying down, but it's actually what we're going to have to do if we're going to cultivate the kind of family that Jesus started. And I know that radical community like this is messy, and it will be messy for us. But it takes commitment to love and serve each other this way, um, and we'll fail each other along the way, but, but we have to decide if we're going to choose to stick it out when things get hard. 
It's going to cost us, and sometimes it may hurt. Um, but I do think that if we decide that, like, hey, I don't think that cost is worth it. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to try and do it on my own. Um, we also have to weigh the cost of that. Um, so <clears throat> we have to weigh the cost of the alternative. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, um, has this, this quote that always um, convicts me. Uh, it says, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. So I think we need to ask ourselves if that's a, question, if that's a price we're willing to pay um, for the sake of doing things our way and staying isolated. Or is real community really worth the laying down of our priorities, loving one another in hard times, stepping into uncomfortable conversations for the sake of becoming more like Jesus? This path is going to cost us, but I want to be really clear that it is not going to cost us anything that Jesus has not already paid for. And it's not going to cost us anything that he hasn't promised would be worth giving up for the sake of knowing him better. Let me say that again. It's not going to cost us anything that he hasn't promised would be worth giving up for the sake of knowing him better. He is faithful to deliver on his promises. He will do it. And it, he will make it worth it. Um, so at the end of 2019, I pretty casually asked God if there was a word he had for me for 2020. It's not something I do very often. I've only honestly done it a few times. But the word that popped in my head was bloom. And whether that was actually from the Lord or not, I couldn't get out of my head for a few weeks, so I'll assume it was him. Then I um, forgot about it for a couple months, as one does. Um, but in March of 2020, as the world is shutting down, I found myself taking a lot of walks around my apartment complex, because um, we all know it was about all you could do. And uh, I didn't grow up with these things called seasons. And so this idea of like springtime is like relatively new for me. And so I'd experienced spring a few times by uh, March of 2020, but had never really watched it so up close. So as I'm walking day, day by day around my apartment complex, I'm watching how the trees start to bud with new leaves and then new flowers, everything just coming, starting to come to life after a cold winter. And as I was walking each day and I'm watching this new growth happen, God reminded me of that word bloom. And he started speaking to me about and sharing with me this lesson about relationships. So um, I have lived a lot of my life in fear um, and in an attempt to try and um, protect myself and avoid risk and discomfort. But if I stay like this tight little bud, refusing to open up to others, I'm going to miss out on something incredible. And this is what I wrote down that April about what God was impressing on me about what it means to bloom. For a flower to bloom and reach its greatest peak of beauty, that which it was created for, it has to open itself up to the world around it. The bud is tight and protected, but the bloom becomes vulnerable, exposed, and although it makes the flower more fragile, it is beautiful and a sign that it is full of life. A flower cannot survive on its own. The blooming flower needs sun and water and bees to pollinate it. Without others, the flower dies. 
The vulnerability in the bloom is its path to the fullest life and beauty. So being in real life-giving community um, can be challenging and comfortable, sometimes painful, um, but God continues to so graciously and kindly remind me um, that, that this is what I was made for, that it's the way um, that he designed me to be, that it's the path to living the abundant and beautiful life that he created for me. And as beautiful as it is for one of us to bloom, um, it's actually, and step into that God-given identity, it's actually way more beautiful when we bloom together. When we collectively as a community step into the way he's designed us to live and how he's designed us to be. So as a church community, um, we're still pretty young. When this church started um, back in 2020, um, I know for me, it was initially just straight fun, like total fun. Like we hadn't really gotten into any of the hard things yet. Um, we were just enjoying, and I know for me, it was just immediate blessing of being around new, wonderful friends. But as time went by, we started to step into the hard things, the hard things about growing a church community um, and the hard things of just living day-to-day -day life. But if we're going to pursue wholehearted devotion to Jesus, we can't stop there at just the fun and the blessing and helping when life is hard. We're going to have to commit to loving one another in ways that will form us to be like Jesus. We have to commit to speaking truth out of love, to sometimes being uncomfortable, and to laying down our lives for our friends. Growing a new kind of family will take work, and it won't be easy, but I do promise it will be fun. It will be a blessing, and it will be worth it. It's who we are designed to be, and it's how we're designed to live, and there's just such incredible beauty and joy and peace to be found when we live wholeheartedly in love with Jesus, as he's designed us to, with community and family alongside us. So as we pursue wholehearted devotion to Jesus, I just want to pray this blessing over you from the book of Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.